Welcome to Because I Want to Know, the podcast where I interview guests about their crazy, unique occupations or life experiences. I'm your host, Leslie Fear. So let's get into it, shall we? Hey, everyone. Today, I am joined with Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. She's an author, a near-death experiencer, and this is her second time to be on my podcast. So welcome to my show, Mary Helen. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here again. Thanks for having me. Well, I tell you, you were my 35th episode, and I've got quite a few beyond those. And a lot of my listeners that are new to my podcast they don't know anything about you. And that's a darn shame. So we got to introduce you to them. So yes, you're a near death experiencer. And we're going to talk about you being a doctor and all the books you've written. But I really think it'd be great for them to know how you got to this point. So can you give us a little rundown of what happened to you during your near death experience? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was December 14th, 1991. I had just graduated from college and moved with my college sweetheart to his hometown of Charleston, South Carolina. And I was working in my very illustrious job at a sign company, which, uh, you know, with my big fat college degrees, uh, (laughs) turned out to be the very best experience of my life because the mentors I had with Frank and Teresa Acoin, who were the owners of this sign shop, they were just so critical at that point in my life. And especially for building me up for what was getting ready to come. Little did I know. And I walked in thinking I was going to be, you know, designing, doing graphic design and all. And a mop was put into my hand and I was told that the best thing they could do for me was teach me how to know a business from the bottom up. And so I started on cleanup and then, you know, gradually started making signs and started designing signs and started selling signs. And then I was about six months into that process and we were having our Christmas party. And so I was leaving to go on a major highway in South Carolina. I was turning uh, to go towards the sign company. And I came to a red light at a crossroads for this major intersection, and my light was red for a while. And then when it finally turned green, I made my way across several lanes of traffic, getting ready to turn left towards town. And it was when I got to that last lane of traffic that I realized there was a car coming towards me, Mm. and they weren't going to stop. And so he was running that red light. And it Mm. turns out it was an elderly gentleman who had had been in a previous accident, really shouldn't have been on the road, but I'm glad he was, or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about it. Would right. I? Um, and so basically that's that the rest is history. Yeah. Um, because it was in that moment that everything that I knew to be true or real changed. Mm. And so as the car was coming towards me, I suddenly just felt and saw everything slow down. And it was in that moment that I had a very clear and distinct choice. I was in complete control of the situation. I had the choice to stay in my body mm-hmm. and experience the impact or to leave my body and watch the impact take place. I was dying either way. Like that was clear. Wow. Um, but it wasn't like, oh my God, I'm getting ready to die. It was like, oh, okay, we're here. But I was in control of how that was going to happen. And this is something I think for anybody who's lost someone and is grieving the process, especially if it was under tragic circumstances, it's not the way it appears, guys. You know, it's not this kind of moment where there's no rhyme or reason. Everything makes sense, as strange as it sounds, wow. even even in those tragic circumstances, because As it all ground to a halt and I was having all the time literally in the world to take it in and what was going to happen, I I went, okay, all right, I've done this before, which that was a shocker, but I was really, really clear about the fact that I'd done this before. 
And so I felt like it would better serve me to experience the impact out of the body. I didn't feel like I needed to take that hit, then die. And so it was in that moment that my love for frequency began because there was this really bizarre, the second I made the decision, there was this this bizarre kind of buzzing noise, a hum, a drum, you know, like a droning sound. Mm -hmm. And this was what I have come to realize, me beginning to detach from the physical form. So that essence of me, the energy of me is now coming up and out of the body. So what's really, really interesting about this particular death experience is that I was actually out of the body when the car slammed in at an estimated 75 miles an hour oh, into wow. the driver's side door. Mm. It, fold, it folded the car in half. My head went through the, the window. I broke my neck, you know, in a list of a mile long of injuries. But I got to witness my own death. Wow. But And let me ask you something, Mary Helen. When you said you were able to just escape your body, it's almost like time kind of just slowed down. And you had a moment just to reflect and go, hey, wait a minute, I've done this, right? It didn't exist. It just ground to a halt. I was was driving that bus. Do you know, like I was in complete control as to how long it was going to take me to make that decision. I was able to literally slow it and stop it. It's very comforting to know that. I have to say, Mm -hmm. you know, so you exit your body, you watch yourself die. What happens next? So I'm, you know, I'm hovering, I'm still that sound, that low drone, which is what, you know, what definitely makes me know that that's what was keeping me connected to that earthly plane. That was still playing, sounding, whatever, the whole time this experience was taking place that I was witnessing. So I'm there, I watched, you know, the car spin through the intersection, I see the car come to a stop. Obviously, it stopped all the traffic because it was quite a horrific accident. And mm. and now, you know, people start jumping out of their cars and they're beginning to gather. And I'm just kind of watching this. And this is where I always throw into people the example of imagine you're outside and you've been working in the garden all day. And it's very satisfying day. You've done a great job out there. Now you come in. You peel off the dirty, sticky clothes. You throw them down by the washing machine and you go have the best shower ever. Right. The last thing that you're thinking about is the clothes that you just left by the washing machine. So shedding a body that has served you in whatever way it has is very much the same way. You're not, you know, this idea of, oh, no, you know, I'm too young. My whole life is ahead of me. It's just not like that. You're watching, you're looking. Yeah, it's the best analogy I've ever heard anyone, and I use it to this day when I've described you on other podcasts, earlier ones that maybe my listeners haven't heard. I was like, Mary Helen Hensley says this, and she says it's like that. And I just love that analogy. It just, I have to say, it's so weird that we don't regard our bodies once we're in spirit like we do when we're in human form. Isn't it crazy? Oh, that's like a totally, that's a totally human thing. I mean, it's, it's comical. I laugh at myself because we are human and it's part of that, you know, where you get up and you look in the mirror and go, Ugh. or you, you're like, okay, that's a little saggier than it was yesterday. Um, you know, that kind of negative speak that we have towards ourselves is totally a human condition, which is nice. Cause I don't want to be carrying that stuff into the afterlife. Um, it's hard enough to get those jeans on here, you know. <laughs> I heard that. Yeah. And b- yeah. by the way, to my listeners, Mary Helen uh, was brought up and actually in Virginia and lived there her whole life until she moved to Ireland about 20 some years ago. And now she lives in Ireland and you'd never know it because she still sounds like she's from the South. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I just spent three weeks at home and my daughters were just absolutely laughing when I came in. They're like, every time you go home, you sound like a Beverly Hillbilly. Um, and I was like, well, thank you. The accent, yeah. the, the accent is strong. The force is strong with us. Well, you um, know, it's because they sound like they're British, you know, they, or they sound at least Irish, I would think, right? They're very Irish. Yeah. Very Irish. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, with a weird sense. smattering of American. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So it was just, it was an incredibly pivotal moment that I described, you know, it was the, the metaphorical and the metaphysical crossroads of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was so incredible was that at lightning speed, so many things that I based reality on the truths that belong, say to my parents or, or my teachers or my friends, the things that you literally use in your everyday working life to develop a sense of what is real and what is not. Mm. Um, you know, those are developed from your own perspectives, but from the very much so from the influences of the people in your life. And so like, these are like shattering at lightning speed Mm. and I'm going, you know, because it's like all of a sudden, you know, you have the choice to come out of your body and you know, you've done this before. Uh, hello. (laughs) They weren't teaching that in Sunday school, you know? Um, no, they weren't. So, yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. Oh, oh, I see. And there's a lot of that going on. Oh yeah. Really? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, and, and it's amazing. Um, so what was really interesting is I'm kind of watching all of that happen beneath. And then, you know, eventually a guy in uniform goes up and he reaches through the passenger side, turns the engine off so it doesn't blow. And I'm like a a dead doll laying in the car and, you know, the seat has folded up under me. I was pinned to the back of the seat. And of course the driver's side door was, I mean, it, it had caved into the side of my body. So I was like, I look like a, a backward C. Oh, um, wow. And so I remember watching him do that and a, a few other bits and pieces. And a girl that I'd gone to college with was in a car, a couple cars behind me. And Charleston was a big place at that time. You know, it's bigger now, but it was about 350000 And so the chances that she would be there a few cars behind me and witness right. this accident was key for me because it was that then first moment where I realized that I was watching and feeling what had just happened through her eyes. I was oh. able to see her her terror when she realized, oh my gosh, that's Mary Helen in the car. And I could feel it. And I felt this, you wouldn't say nothing, but you feel this empathy for the individual because they're still trapped in the, in the five sense version of the world and thinking that that's it. Oh no, she's dead. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm right here. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that was really, that was really cool. And then it was at that moment that that sound changed. Mm. And so this incredibly euphoric, I call it the music of the spheres, the, the frequency just changed. And suddenly I was no longer looking at the accident. I was just gone. And yeah, so a lot of people have that tunnel, a a much slower version of the tunnel of light experience. I was like, mine was a blink. Mm. I was there watching that happen. That music hit and then whap, I was gone somewhere else. And then when I instantaneously became aware of my new surroundings, oh my gosh, it was incredible. So like the atmosphere was around me. It was palpable. Like Mm. you could, you were part of it. Um, that sound is indescribable and so joyful and so amazing. It was just, and then you're like, oh my gosh, this is our natural state of being. Oh, wow. Holy cow. Do you know, like this idea of, okay, yeah, are we going to go through a review and we're going to process and do all this stuff? Yeah. 
But in that moment, kind of the, the holding room before you're moving on to the next step of the adventure, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, imagine you've just been knocked clean out of your body and there you arrive freshly dead in this new space. <laughs> and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, this is the most incredible feeling ever. And so you're allowed to sit in that space as far as I know, because um, that's you know all I can report on is my own experience. Right. And I just bathed in it. It was just amazing. And I was that atmosphere. I was that music. There was no concern whatsoever. I'm not going, oh, but gosh, I only just got out of college. I thought I was right. none of that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my, oh, my boyfriend, I've left behind. He was going to, he was going to ask me to marry him. I knew it. You know, like there was just none of that. It was this complete and instant presence of wow. being in the present moment. So there's not kind of like what's going to happen next, what just left. So there's no kind of past and future concept playing out in front of you. It's literally just being in that present moment and just relishing in it. Wow. And was it light around you? Was it dark? Was it just a feeling you had? It was like colors. And this is the funny part. I was reading something not that long ago about somebody who was actually trying to describe that, Mm -hmm. that situation. And it's really kind of hard. Like we make up stuff, you know, and we do the best that we can as far as like, um, you know, I was like, okay, there was this beautiful caramel color with a pearly sheen. Like (laughs) that's all I got. But you know, like, what do you call that color that doesn't exist here? I don't know, you know? But that's what it was like. There was just this, it was like, imagine being waking up inside of a lava lamp, you know, like one of those 60s lava lamps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, everything's moving around you and it's just like all warm and gooey and fabulous. That's oh, what it was wow. like. Oh, wow. You know, and I, I think everybody has a personal experience because everybody comes from so many different backgrounds. And I, I think from what I've been told now, you can correct me, but and I don't know your experience in that respect, but um, when you do go, you can see people that you've thought you might see. Like some people do see Jesus. Some people do see their loved ones. Some people do see this manifestation of a garden and all that. And it just, it does, it, is it something that you manifest yourself or is it just something that is just what you experience? Well, I think it depends on how far you go. Yeah. You know, oh, there are okay. some people who flatline for a second and they'll be like, it was just pitch dark. And they don't recall anything else. And then there are other people who remember hovering above their body um, in a hospital room and watching themselves, the the machines beeping as they're dying on the table. Um, There are other people who are like, oh, my gosh, there was my grandmother. Um, There are other people who get into that space where the scene of the atmosphere is is breathing around them. There are other people who meet some kind of guide, mentor, guardian, um, Jesus, you know, whoever it is that it is most comfortable, uh, I guess for them in that moment. Right. Yeah. For me, it was interesting because I'd had a very unique childhood in that mm-hmm. from the time I was old enough to talk, my closest friend in the world was my grandfather judge. Um, and he was a medical doctor from Kentucky, my mom's dad. And so he was very much so part of my childhood. And then, you know, four years old rolls around and my parents sit me down to tell me, "Uh, Sugar, you know what? Uh, Do you know the difference between alive and dead? And I'm like, what? Because (laughs) judge isn't alive. (laughs) Judge had been dead since I was one. And so this idea of me, uh, you know, I think it was like subconsciously always there that there was always something else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why it was kind of like, you know, you're pounding a square peg into a round hole. That's my childhood, you know, trying to take me to church. My father was a minister. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to these stories about heaven and hell. And, 
you know, what happens when you die. And we were lots of talks about angels and sitting on clouds and all that kind of carry on. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm talking to judge like every night, you know? And so this was a really hard concept for me to swallow. Right. But what's so interesting is that as we march on and technology changes, this is actually getting so much easier to describe to people in a way that they can grab onto. And so it's like, you know, my mom lives in Virginia. I live in Ireland. We FaceTime every night. And so I'm looking at a real-time image of my mom. She's looking at a real-time image of me. We're chatting away. I know that she's sitting in her kitchen and she's actually still in a body. Um, you know, and she knows that I'm sitting in my living room in Ireland and I'm still actually in a body. And then, you know, my daughter Jada might swing in, hi grandma, you know, and it's all happening in real time. Right. And so what's so interesting about when you're seeing someone, um, who has departed the earthly plane in a physical form for me as a child, and this would have been in the early seventies, I'm seeing judge in the same way that I'm talking to my mom on FaceTime. It's a, mm. it's like a holographic type of imagery, but sometimes he's solid. And so like when, when I'm with my mom in real time, like I just got back from a three week visit with her. So I was able to touch her. I was able to see her. Right. But when I left on that airplane, I knew she was still there. And as soon as I arrived home and I FaceTimed her to say I'd gotten home, there she was. And I could still see her just in a different form. Right, great way to put it. And so walking through the realms is actually quite similar. You're in one room and, you know, you're in the TV room of the house and they're in 3D. You walk into the living room and you're talking to them on FaceTime. I could go upstairs and the phone rings and it's just audio. Um, But it's still my mom. Every single one of those forms is still my mother. Yes, that's a great analogy. And you know, I think it was Einstein said, energy doesn't die, it only changes form. So and that's, yeah. But you know, so I'm actually glad because in this business, you know, where your life revolves around talking about these types of experiences, technology is finally catching up to a way that people are like, Oh, and it's like when I was 20 years ago, when I'm talking about, Hey, I'm channeling in this frequency to help you, you know, empty the bins in your body and connect with why you have cancer and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what? (laughs) But now there's not a person alive that doesn't have a smartphone in their pocket. And you're going, okay, you know how that frequency is bouncing off of a, of a tower here up into space, hitting a satellite and coming down directly to your phone. And you're talking to that person in present time. Yeah. And you're like, okay, it's like that. And they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. it's actually getting so much easier to talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's the same concept. It's just a different situation, but it's the same thing. Yeah, well, now people have something they can actually hang on to that they have experienced personally. Right. Because everybody you talk to hasn't had the death experience. Exactly. So they're literally kind of taking your word for it. Okay, this is what happens. This is what it looks like. But now what's happening is people are having these kind of sped up experiences of frequency and light and they can actually create a an imagery or a picture or an understanding in their own minds that helps them to understand the idea that hey you know what they're just in a different form that's all that's exactly right so you're there were you given a choice to come back mary helen or were you just nope choice. Oh, okay. so okay. it's not like somebody was there dictating what was going to happen to me i was very quickly understanding basically once i was in that space just long story short the atmosphere kind of started taking shape okay. and there were two guides okay so when we talk about meeting familiars i didn't remember them immediately 
And it took, you know, it took however long it took. And then all of a sudden the penny drops and I'm like, oh my gosh, I know who you are. And then, you know, there was just a beautiful celebration of the fact that I'm like, oh my God, God, it was amazing. I was awesome. (laughs) Um, You know, and so they celebrated with me and then we just naturally progressed into this incredible mind boggling experience of going through my 21 years to date on earth Mm -hmm. as Mary Helen. And so I'm watching my life unfold, not chronologically in a parallel type of reality where I am now understanding what concurrent means, because as I'm witnessing in this kind of 360 degree experience, I'm two years old to my left and I'm 18 years old going off to college to my right. I'm winning the spelling bee at 12 and I'm getting my first dog when I'm 10. And I'm, you know, like it's all these things are happening in that life review, but they're happening simultaneously and I'm totally able to absorb it. Do you know, like it's just you're back in that space. The limitations of the brain are gone. And that capacity to understand the dynamics of what was actually taking place were just, it was multi-layered and it was so cool because, you know, you arrive to the party with this kind of idea of what time is. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, time isn't, oh yeah, time isn't. And mind blown. That for me has been the single most difficult part in coming back into the world and into the same body. That's been the hardest part for me to kind of navigate, I'd say. Wow. And how did that make you feel when you could do all that at the same time? I mean, what kind of feeling? Because you're so many different ages all at once. How did that feel? Well, it, it again, it was just like that aha moment because you're watching yourself at the same time. Here's what's really cool about the way they reveal is You're watching yourself screw up and do magnificent things all at once. And you're suddenly realizing, oh, gosh, no one of those is more important than the other. They're all equal in the eyes of the creator. And then suddenly you're like, oh, hang on a second. This is that part where somebody's supposed to be judging my performance. And you're like looking around and there's crickets. And you're like, who's who's judging this? You know, and it's you. Yeah. You're the one who's creating this. So when you ask the question, you know, did they tell you you could go back? This was my dance. I was in charge the whole way through. So with those two loving beings that were there with me, I was like, guys, I've got stuff that I meant to do. And they, you know, they just agreed. And so they said that at that point, if I had chosen to go back in, that then I was going to go back with some enhanced abilities. And I went, okay, bring it on. And so I made that decision to go back and back I went. Yeah, because when you were a little girl, I is it fair to say you were kind of a psychic and a medium even then? Yeah, well, I mean, like, you know, I'm talking to the dead grandfather all the time. Yeah. You know, I had this interesting, peculiar pastime of helping my father write eulogies by actually talking to the deceased. Yeah. Well, no, and you could predict people's deaths, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm not much for the old labels, but, you know, whatever, you know, yeah, I was yeah. just, that was just my normal. Yeah, and you, well, you could predict people's deaths. You'd go up to your dad and go, hey, uh, dad, Roger on Tuesday's going to die. I mean, you know, and you were four. Yeah. So, and, and that's the only reason I say it, because that's the only way I know how to describe it is there's a little psychic. Yeah. 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 That's okay. exactly, but that's what was happening. And I was, you know, I would dream things. And, you know, I had quite an incredible relationship with dream time. So, what I'm saying too is you were already really cool as a kid already. Then you have this experience and you come back and you're just like, 
a thousand times better, different as far as you can heal. You you can still do those things. I think you can you still do psychic and medium work as well, Mary Helen? Oh, sure. But remember, you're also coming back into a world where your type, your kind is completely misunderstood. Oh, of course it is. And so <laughs> I'm, you know, that really cool stuff that I can do as a child. I'm not allowed to talk about it. My parents had no way of understanding it, describing that they knew it was real. But I was told in no uncertain terms, this is not something that's to go outside of the family. And so it was, it was kind of lonely that way because it's like, you know, this stuff and you know, this stuff is going on, but you know, there's nobody you can tell about it. Even my siblings didn't know. So it was something that strictly was between my parents and me. So Then I go off to college. And of course, you know, you go off to college. And I had that experience of sharing part of myself, um, you know, because we had roommates then. And, you know, the jig was up because she was like, you are the most peculiar sleeper I have ever met. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And yeah, well, so, but here's what was happening was like, you know, you're going in, you're trying to adapt to a new environment and you're in college and you want to fit in with everybody. And so the last thing you want to do is the freak who talks to dead people. (laughs) And so... I would catnap. This is where I developed my very bizarre sleeping patterns. I would catnap during the day so that I would be awake when my roommate would go to sleep. Really? Because I didn't want her, because that's when stuff was really active. And so I wanted her to already be asleep. You know, you just, you do, you develop these kind of coping mechanisms, but then, you know, stuff starts happening. The dreams are there. Like none of it stopped it. You know, it was, I was tired for four years. (laughs) But you were, you were really tired. I know. Bless your heart. Really, really tired. (laughs) And I ended up, you know, marrying that college sweetheart post-accident. But I remember the time when he first witnessed something Mm. and you want to talk about shrieks, screams, you know, like there's nothing you can kind of do to control that. I had had an out of body experience and he woke up while it was happening. Oh, no. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously we're not married now for, for many, many, many years, but it's like, what do you tell a counselor? Do you know? Yeah. There I, you know, she, well, she's, uh, she's going out your honor. <laughs> um, but <laughs> out of body. Well, did he not know about your abilities or any of that? Yeah, but you know what? Knowing something and owning something are two very oh, different things. Okay, yeah. Two very different things. You can hear a story. It's like when someone reads one of my books and they're reading about someone else's experience with healing and they're like, oh my gosh, that's incredible. And then it happens to them. Right. They're two very, very different ways to experience the same information. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. And it's kind of like my husband, he's not really into the woo woo. I think he's crossed a little bit more of a line with me. He's starting to kind of come over to my side a little bit more, But, but, but to be honest with you, not as much. And that's okay. He keeps me grounded and he's very supportive and loving. And I love that about him. So, um, so we call him woo. You're woo woo and he's just woo. That's right. Well, he's more, he's more wah. (laughs) He's a, oh. (laughs) Oh my God. So you, uh, you're with your husband. So that's not working out great with the husband. Well, see, that was at that stage then. Remember now, like we're dates and all. And the reason we ended up getting married was like he was after I came back in and the horrific nature of that accident. Because you can imagine the days following were a bit strange. Yeah. Um, the, the days following the accident are quite strange. You're trying to make sense of what happened. Even that moment when I first came to in the ER 
Yeah. That uniformed man was the officer who arrived first on the scene who went in and turned the car off. And he was the one who came in to speak to me. And he was like, you know, my, my book starts with what he said, which was, you're one lucky little lady. And that was yeah. the first thing that he said to me. And I tried to sit up at that moment. And that's when I was like, uh-oh, this is not good. I knew that I was just battered. And, you know, I didn't know my neck was broken at that stage. I didn't even like I couldn't swallow. Um, oh, and gosh. he was like trying to make sense of it. And he couldn't because he was like, you know, I'm telling him, hey, you need to go check with my college roommate. You need to go check with blah, blah, blah. And he's like, uh, you were dead when that <laughs> happened. And so, like, he's How did you really, yeah. really trying to digest this. And so you can imagine, so was I. Um, but you but- know what, Mary Helen, what I don't understand, well, I do understand, but let me ask you this. When you made the decision to come back, you knew your body was so battered and so just broken. Did they make it to where you could at least fix what, did, did the other side help you at all with the healing process a little bit with the body before you went back? Oh, good Lord, child. I've had, I, yeah, I should be dead a hundred times over at oh. this stage. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have been, I will hands down say I have had numerous visits where the repair team has come in. Like, picture a NASCAR race, you know, where that 60-second pit crew comes out and changes the wheels and does all that. I am 100% convinced that that happens on a regular basis because um, there are so many reasons I shouldn't be here now. Well, no, I mean, telling me you broke your neck alone and then all the other broken bones in your body. Like a year later, I had cancer, you know, and then like I've had cancer twice. I've had a brain tumor. I've had every disease that you can think of. Oh. Um, oh yeah. So like, this has been a really interesting body. That's what I'm saying. There <laughs> is something that's enhanced in here that allows me to carry on because I've used my body to, as an educational tool for people. You know, I've gone through experiences. Um, I did it for the last two years with COVID, you know, right, like yeah. that I was, I was the weirdo who got on the plane to fly to LA. You know, I called my friend up. I was like, Hey, I'm coming over. And she had to buy a resonance equipment. I'm like, we're going to study COVID. And she's like, awesome. And I'm like, yeah, that means I'm going to pick it up on the way over. And she was like, okay. So sure enough, I get on the plane and I, by the time I land, I'm starting to get the symptoms. Well, that was before anybody really knew what it was. You, I was the first one in in my circle to get it. (laughs) What a proud moment. (laughs) And so they were just like, it was funny. People are like, you're mad. You're irresponsible. You're that you can think that all you want to. It's not your choice. It's my body. Do you know? And so I used my body to discover the fact that COVID is an experience that each one of us is having completely differently. So this body of mine has been supported along the way to be able to handle that kind of stuff. Right. Each of us are going to experience it completely differently right. because I had, and people get really ticked when I'm like, best pandemic ever. Well, no, yeah. And you know what? It's not fair for people to get upset or pissed with you because that's your experience. Just like my experience was mine. And, you know, I, I have really tried so hard. This podcast has been so educational to me to quit judging as much. And I didn't really judge that much. I mean, I, I don't think I did, but I must have because I look at people now and I'm like, you know what? That's their experience. They're not going to think the way you think. They're not going to go through things the way you go through them. And if we would all just kind of have more of a get outside the box and have a more open mind, this world would be a thousand times better. Yeah. But you know what? It's that part of what makes this such a juicy, fun place to live is the fact that every 
everybody is is learning, growing, and developing at different speeds. Right. And so, you know, it also gives us a chance to knock that, you know, knock ourselves off the high horse when we think yes. we've got all the answers or we think we're so evolved or that we think it's like, you know, in my biz with the frequency and they're like, oh, he's so low vibe, you know, as if <laughs> low vibe is different than high vibe. Low vibe is just as necessary, just like if you're painting a picture, it's like it's nice to have some dark colors in there because right. it gives contrast to the light. And so when someone is lower vibration, which is sometimes extremely necessary, and as I learned, you know, lower vibration is what keeps us anchored into the earth experience, period. It's funny you brought that up, though, Mary Helen, because I talked to someone about the different levels of the other side. And I was like, well, what happens? Because she was a psychic medium and I trust her. She's been on my podcast many times. And uh, I said, well, we had a discussion. I said, so like if she and I, we die and we go to the probably the same kind of level where we're both compassionate, we have, you know, empathy for people, but the Dahmers and maybe the Hitlers, they don't go to hell. No one goes to hell, but they go to like a lower astral, a lower frequency when they die. Yeah. Well, it's like I was having a conversation today. I was with someone who's in a very high profile case here in Ireland, she was grossly abused by her own father and then taken out. She and the siblings were taken out of the home and placed into foster care where she was abused for another seven years. Mm. And so it was this interesting concept of the abuser and the foster mother of that family just died over the weekend. Mm. And so we were talking about her feelings with this kind of thing. And what I was saying, she was like, it just blew my mind at the lovely comments about her that people were leaving. And I said, yeah, but you have to remember, you know, she may have facilitated your abuse, but then to somebody else, she might have been someone's best friend. She might have been that mother figure or that beloved sister to somebody else, because we don't all have the same stories with, you know, she had a different storyline with those people. And so it's like, you know, I was describing this principal who gave a horrific experience to my my oldest daughter, and she was a horror, but her children love her. Her mm-hmm. next door neighbor thinks she's amazing. Right. Her husband's, you know, her husband is stuck with her through thick and thin. And so, like, just because someone shows up in your life and plays the most difficult role, does that negate the rest of their life experiences with other people that might follow a different storyline? Very, very so true. Yes. How do you call that? How do you call one higher or lower vibration? Well, right. it's in the moment. You know, if you need to be in what you might classically call a lower vibe moment in order to get, an, you know, to achieve a lesson, then someone's got to be there to help you get there. Yeah. That's um, yeah. I didn't think about that. And I mean, to me, the lower frequency on the other side for people that don't, that are just kind of shells of people that just don't have empathy or none of that. Um, I, I think, I don't know, maybe they go back into utero immediately. I'm not even sure. Um, I've heard people are born without souls as well. You mean and walk through the world without yeah. a soul? Yeah. That's a new one on me. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And it's just, they have more of the elemental energy and the dense frequency of the earth energy. And um, they're more the backdrop people. I think Dolores Cannon had talked about them. And I just had an episode with my psychic friend who said, you know, they're, they're like the catfish. They keep, they keep us on our toes. You know, they're the people that bring you down in the lower frequencies. Those are the people you were talking about quite possibly I've had the experience of the fact that, you know, a soul can slide in as the baby is coming out or a soul can come in at the time of conception. 
I would often describe that as like, you know, if, if you had your car running on a frosty morning and the radio was blaring and the, you know, their exhaust is coming out of the tailpipe and the winds, you know, windshield wipers are going back and forth and the car to anyone passing by it looks alive. It looks on, but there's no driver, mm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, and, right. unless it's a Tesla car, that car's not going to get up and drive off itself. <laughs> it needs yeah. the driver. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like zombie apocalypse. It does sound like that. I know. I mean, it, it, <laughs> yeah, it does, you know, and, and, but I like getting everyone's take because to me, it helps me understand. I think it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I, I respect what you think. So it's, you know, and that's important to me. And I want you to know that. So what do you think about but it's like changing the channel? So, you know, like you and I could be talking about my experiences and what I have come across in, in my version of this reality. You could also interview somebody who's having a completely different version of reality. Which right. one of them is right? All of them. They're all right. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's that's kind of where we landed. It was one of those things where, listen, she goes, I think it's very rare. And I think, like we talked about walk-ins, when some people was like, I'm done, you know, and then somebody else. Bad, yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's we were on that trajectory of what happens if, what happens if this happens or whatever. So that's kind of what we were talking about the whole entire episode. Cause I was like, yeah, it, it's, it, it was fun. And she's, she's able to talk to her guides. And some, sometimes she's like, you know what? I don't know how it works. I can't wrap my brain around it. I just know what they tell me. And I just let you know, sometimes they don't give me all the answers. So, you know, and that's kind of how we left it, but that's awesome. Yeah. So you, when you came back, you were so different. Was it Judge who said, your your grandfather who said, you need to become a doctor? Yeah. Okay. And not just any old doctor, a chiropractor. Yeah. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, I've literally spent my whole life different than everybody. And so now you want me to go and train to be something that's like always on the fringe of mainstream, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he's like, you'll understand. And the the reason behind that was because of, you know, the ethos of, of chiropractic, the way that I practice it, you know, that mind, body, spirit aspect where, you know, you're, you're dealing with vitalism, where you're right. educating people that the body is there to serve the soul. So the soul is coming in and utilizing the body as a tool rather than the body being the tool that is always trying to achieve some form of spirituality. Right. And let me ask you this, though, Mary Helen, you know how like in our last interview, you and I were talking and I was like, why would I choose this life? Or why would I choose for a child to die or, or my mother to die of cancer or for me to get, you know, a brain tumor or whatever? Why would I choose that? And you had the best explanation. You're like, why wouldn't you in that perfect state up there? You know, you're you want to experience everything. And you it's almost like you're gathering knowledge for the universe or whatever. But then when you talk about this and, and you try to explain it to people that maybe don't believe or not as woo as you and I, woo woo, um, they call it victim blaming. And I don't know how you get around that with those kinds of people. Do you oh, even? Gerald, I love some victim blaming. Yeah. That is my, you know, one day my daughter came home from therapy and actually used that term on me. Mm. And I said, I have seen and heard it all now. I'm actually paying for your therapist to teach you new names to call me. (laughs) (laughs) No. And uh, no, we had a great laugh and her and their therapist is amazing. But yeah, that whole victim blaming. And it's so funny because it depends on how you look at that. It's like my new favorite thing to play with is this thing, the virtue signaling everybody's. And I'm going, you know what? Go think about this for a second. If asking someone to take ownership or responsibility for what's happening in their life, even if they believe that the circumstances were 100% completely out of their control, whether it was spiritual or whatever, 
they always, always have a choice afterwards as to how they're going to integrate that into their life. And they may do it or they may not do it. Victim blaming means that, you know, that you are holding them responsible in this in this kind of weird world that we're living in right now. It's that idea that, you know, a woman says something happened to her and then, you know, I ask a question and I'll be like, well, how do you think that would have played out differently if you had been in complete control of your faculties? Right, because you can't say, well, you, make it right. well, well, you can't say you chose this. So you have to come up with other ways to ask the question. Yeah, well, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm as blunt as they come, and I don't care what <laughs> what new label they put on me because I like the conversation. I like to stir. Yes. I, I like to stir that thought process, and especially, you know, someone who has been through an experience. You know, I went off to look at colleges, and I went to a party, and I had never had a drop of alcohol in my life, and I was later seen drinking vodka out of an IV bag. Oh, <laughs> you know? there you go. And and then I was I happened to be raped that evening. Oh, and no. so, you know, I can look back at that. Was the rape itself my fault? Absolutely not. Did it suck? You better believe it did. Am I able to look at that situation and go, here's someone who has never, ever taken a drink, who goes in and starts drinking hard liquor out of a bag, you know, and I'm going, yeah, right there. Let me have a look at that. Let me let me look at what went on there would I think that the folly is in the expectation that every single person who's present at that time is going to be emotionally or physically or spiritually developed to a space where they know that it's not okay to take advantage of you in that state and that's where people make that mistake I think because there's this grand assumption and it's this is a huge thing that we're going through in the world right now is that everybody is the same and everybody should be the same Mm. because it's like you know we want to turn around you know no one has a problem of looking at a child and going well look they've got to crawl before they walk and then walk before they run Um, but then when it comes to terms of the spirit I find it really interesting. And it also tends to be people who are talking all the time about the importance of mental health, yeah. you know, which I'm, I think mental health is extraordinarily important. Right. Um, but I also think one of the major foundation stones of having a solid grasp on one's mental health is recognizing that as much as you might hope or wish that the world was a certain way, once you have accepted the reality that it's not, then you have a lot more playing room, do you know? Right. Yes. And then we call that victim blaming. (laughs) And the best thing is, you know, especially the people that it happens when they're a child. And I, you know, and well, you're victim blaming me because it happened when I was a child and I I couldn't have helped it. And they're right. You couldn't have helped it. But in that perfect state, and see, I hate to say, because it is triggering for people, you know, and it's hard to get around that without people really being upset. And I do get that. And I am compassionate about that. I think there's a a level of passion you kind of have to have for people because people want to hold on to it a little bit. It's hurtful. You're human. It's hard for that. But... I, like, for instance, the individual that I was talking about before who had the, the big high profile case that's going on here, you know, yeah. there's not just her, there's family members and some of her family members who went through this same experience are not in the same place as her. She has worked hard for over 20 years mm. working with the system here, which is quite broken and bringing up 
new ideas, new approaches to this, highlighting where she and the family fell through the cracks. Mm -hmm. And she, she got stuck in. That was her story with this, right? And so now this thing is getting ready to blow huge. Mm -hmm. And there are other members of the family who would rather just not talk about it, put it behind them. And which one of them is more right than the other? Neither. Each one of them is handling their own experience. So one could look at her and because she's taking complete ownership and responsibility for what happened in that, hey, you know what? This doesn't get to have me for the rest of my life. I'm actually going to use these circumstances in order to create some change here. That's the direction. That's my trajectory with this particular experience. And a sibling who might have had the exact same experience has no sense of wanting to to champion that cause. They just want to be quiet about it and move on. It's the same thing that we're doing to celebrities and sports figures where, oh, because they've achieved a certain status level, that it is their moral responsibility to do everything the right way. Right. And I think that that's absolutely ridiculous. It is. Because they're still just human beings. They are. There's people that do want to hang on to the anger. They want to hang on to it because... I don't know if it's an identity thing or if it's just I'm mad and I can't believe this happened to me and it shouldn't have happened to me and I was the innocent person and they were. They were. But oftentimes in that storyline, when it's handled that way, you see it always used as as an excuse for that which they never achieved, that which they never did for themselves, that risk they never took, that whatever. Mm -hmm. And it becomes, and that's when, you know, when someone like me says that out loud, they're like, oh, there you go, victim blamer. Exactly. That's that's just from working for 30 plus years with human beings and watching how these patterns unfold. The people who hang on to that stuff and hold on to that story and refuse to let it go, their life is a clear reflection of that choice. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. I've never met a really happy and successful, I don't mean financially successful, I mean someone who wakes up every day and is passionate and involved and all that, who carries that kind of self-loathing and anger over something that happened to them earlier on. Right. right. Do you know? No, I, I get it. And I do think that, you know, um, regardless of how we plan it out and we come and we incarnate and we live our lives and all those things happen to us, I do think we have free will. And I think sometimes we derail. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe that is a Dahmer thing. Maybe that is a Hitler thing where, you know, maybe you didn't come in this life to do all those things and you did. I don't know. Or maybe they did come in to do yes. those things and they did them. Exactly. And no, because of yeah. it, mm-hmm. the life stories of many, many other people began to unfold with all sorts of new opportunities and choices. Right. That's that's kind of my understanding of how this realm is set up. Right. The dichotomy of dark and light is is crucial here because that's what we're always trying to change the schoolhouse. Right. You know, rather than getting kind of the ding, 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 hey, maybe you're meant to grow within the parameters of what the schoolhouse has to offer. So this, you know, that kind of idealistic thing was if we work towards something where everybody can be perfectly happy, (laughs) go, go somewhere else. There are other realms that are like that. Trust me. But But when you're here, the idea of, you know, I like helping people move into that space of contentment and, understanding and passion within themselves and their own stories without a single thing having changed on the outside. Do you know, that's something you're never in control of. And once one can accept the fact that they're not in control of those external circumstances, and it is a completely 100% an inside job as to how they deal with that, 
and they might become the activist. They might become, you know, the person who goes and invents something that fixes that problem. They might be the person who campaigns against drunk driving, you know, and it sets them up for this incredible storyline within their own lives. So as they become that activist, you know, they can work towards changing something. But as we can see, it's pretty funny, you know, like you look in this world and you know, we talk like racism is a huge issue mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. uh, but it always has been. Well, yeah. yeah all surprise, surprise. Yeah. It yeah. always has been. The hierarchy of individuals, um, class systems, mm-hmm. separation, it's been around since the dawn of time. Yeah. That should tell us something. And, you know, unfortunately, we all come into this world with amnesia. We have no idea what's going on on the other side until like what happened with you. You have a near-death experience and it, it even took you a few seconds and then you're like, oh, I've been here before. I've done this before. Oh, you've been with me for my entire existence. I See, I love that part, but, and I know it's getting late and you got to go. So I'm going to tell my uh, listeners, you got to tell everybody about your books and what you can do for them. If they get sessions from you, all the things. Well, funny enough right now, I'm so overbooked with sessions. Um, just because like every time I do a podcast and get another you know, <laughs> horde yeah. of emails I know. and it was starting to get very frustrating because a lot of them were time sensitive things. And so I had to, for my own peace of mind and sanity and well-being, find a way to deal with that. And so I have actually started a show, not a podcast. Okay. It's actually like a 30-minute show. It's, you know, it's like a little TV show, but like kind of an online thing. Okay. And so we're stockpiling the episodes right now. And I'm covering a lot of the subject matter that I'm asked about in the healing sessions because I simply just can't get to all of it. And so, you know, obviously you can tell by now I love the humorous aspect. I love that approach because I just simply can't take myself seriously. Um, (laughs) You know, like I'm literally sitting waiting. I was like a child at Christmas waiting at the door for the mailman to arrive with my adult sized chimpanzee suit to go with my new banana handbag. You know, so when the monkeypox hit, that's me walking through town right there. Do you know, like the only way that I can keep going with influx of craziness that we're dealing with is by humor. That's it. So, and, and helping people not take themselves so seriously because we really, we're coming off, we're shaking off two years and, um, I'm afraid going, you know, into an, another version yeah. of that reality, but where people were really having a hard time, you know, the, the separation was real and it was really interesting that perspective that it gave, especially groups of people who had historically been isolated, alienated, unaccepted mm. and watching how quickly something as simple as vaccination or unvaccination was able to create a great divide. And I was like fascinated by this. And it's not a judgment one way or the other. I couldn't care less what anybody chose to do. It's none of my business. But watching the way it was politicized, watching the way that it separated actual families and seeing the opportunities that it presented and going, okay, that was round one. I can't wait to see what round two has to offer. It's almost like a Um, huge awakening though, you know, Mary Helen, it's almost like a huge awakening, whether, because now you know where your family stands on politics and on vaccines and on everything. And then you're like, okay, do I really want to go forward with these people? I mean, you know. Yeah. And and, the, and there's some tough choices to make, yeah. you know, and there are some really interesting approaches to that. One of them being, um, you know, I just wrote something recently about the fact that I, like one of my books is called Hugh and the Manatee. Right. And I, love that. Um, I have a daughter who's bisexual. Mm-hmm. And as a child, 
there were no books that she was in. Right. And, you know, we'd read that it was the happily ever after and the prince and the princes lived happily ever after. And, and she was like, uh, and I'm going, hmm, well, rather than bitch and complain about it, I'm an author. Why don't you go do something about it? So I started writing a series of books where all children had the opportunity to see themselves. Mm. Do you know, there were plenty of stories that were written for kids like me. Right. But there weren't plenty of stories that were written for kids like her. Right. So I started writing this series. It's and what was fascinating, you know, people were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Yes. You know, and I'm, I'm the head of, for my publishing company here in Ireland, head of diversity, inclusion, and equality. And then the pandemic hit. Yes. And then it was so interesting because we saw, uh, and I have business where I work with Broadway, a lot with Broadway. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's these master classes. So all of a sudden these Broadway stars are out of work and they have nowhere to share. And so we created this thing called Boom, Broadway Official Online Master Classes. And so we gave a platform to these stars who did have the big names to come in and teach classes to people who were at home and online because they were locked down and then created a fund where the people who didn't have the big names, like the people who work behind the scenes, the tech crews, you know, the understudies, the people who weren't making that continued income where a portion of the money that these people were earning was going into a fund to help them. Mm. And so, you know, and then a portion went into Broadway cares, which ensures that people, you know, with HIV can get their meds and, you know, like, Really, really cool stuff. So I've been dealing with this kind of stuff for a very long time and and have very much so been a friend of the community. I've, you know, I'm in this and I am there and always have considered myself a very staunch supporter. Right. Yeah. And so go yeah. help people who wanted to find a way out of this, help them find a way out. Right. right. So we are all being presented with yet another set of opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think, I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. So I created this show called the Mary Hellion surprise. And the Mary Hellion is just me talking about all sorts of different things because, you know, we had a way for people to contact about the shows, but what was happening is there's just thousands upon thousands. And I'm extraordinarily flattered about that, but it was getting so stressful because, you know, I couldn't get to everyone. So I had to come up with that solution. So that's really the big thing that's coming up soon would be the Mary Hellion episodes. And then of course on my website, maryhelenhensley.com, all the books are available. Right. So go check out her website and Mary Helen, as usual, you have been freaking amazing. And I know everyone is... That's an excellent (laughs) podcast host. Well, you have been an amazing podcast guest. You are top three, my favorite guests I've ever had. And I just absolutely adore you. And I appreciate that. I love the high energy. I love the pace. I love the ability to banter back and forth. And it's not just we, we say everything that's super comfortable and that we both agree with, that we can actually talk get through this material and share with people. And what we want to do is make people think, you know, my my dad used to say to me all the time when I was certain I was right about everything. And he's like, what pray tell if you were wrong? Exactly. And I'm like, huh. And then I'm like, okay, dad, I've got you now in 2022. What pray tell if there's another perspective? Absolutely. Yeah. No, I know. It's the truth. And and I love to get people thinking and talking and and opening up that box. Get out of the box. Yeah. Well, I kind of like those boxes because, you know, there's no box to get out of unless there is a box, you know. So, (laughs) uh, but the fun part about the boxes is that you don't have to stay in the box. You can move from box to box to box. Well, that's true. So many amazing boxes. There are a lot of amazing boxes. See, guys, I told you you'd love her. (laughs) Mary Helen, thank you again so much. Well, I love providing because I want to know at no cost. 
So if you like what you heard, please leave me a five-star review, or you can just buy me a cup of coffee. It's kind of like a Patreon, but you don't have a monthly subscription and you can give whatever you feel led to give. I am a one-woman show and I do all of my scheduling and my interviewing and my editing. So just know your support is so greatly appreciated. And one more thing, I am a paranormal romance novelist and you can find all of my books on Amazon. Just look up my name. I'm very easy to find. Thank you guys again and I will see you next week.